Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online. On DAB Plus. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have reached the end of another week, ladies and gentlemen. Extraordinarily, we seem to have entered October. Uh, We're all still here. Uh, Don't worry about the markets. They've recovered, right? So the pound seems to be doing okay against the dollar. Uh, The bond market seems to have settled down. Uh, The Bank of England has stopped buying back bonds, as far as we know, because they don't need to anymore because there's no longer a devastating crash coming. But don't worry. We've got plenty more crises to talk about because now we're about to move into an energy crisis, right? So now they're telling us that uh, not only will the pound uh, die, not only will Britain die as a country, now uh, we're going to have blackouts and you're going to have to get used to having three hours of electricity a day uh, and you're just going to have to eat a lot of cold sandwiches and have no baths whatsoever. It'd be like going back to the 70s. Listen, I grew up in the 70s. I had a great time. Um, I came of age. I had my first girlfriend, uh, left school, went to university, saw Led Zeppelin at Nebworth. It was a great decade, so don't worry about it. If you can't have heating all the time, just get used to it. Uh, if you drink cold tea, you'll be all right. Uh, it'll, it'll make you stronger and a better person. And quite frankly, the kids these days need a bit of um, straightening out. So I'm looking forward to a bit of austerity. Uh, of course, I'm only joking. Uh, but Jeremy Carl said he was upset because people were having to go for scaremongering. Nobody's scaremongering here. The only people who are scaremongering are the government. The government are the ones saying that we might have to have blackouts. The national grid are the people that can't do their jobs. Richard Tice is here with me, a man that knows a thing or two about not only how to power the economy, but also how to power Britain. Britain is underpowered right now because the people running it don't know what the hell they're doing. Liz Truss has basically recovered to a standing position. She's got back up um, off uh, her her hands and knees where she was almost out for the count. Uh, But she's back up. She's got the fight going. Uh, She's going to be around now for quite some time. So we'll take your calls. We'll talk about uh, the migrant crisis. They've just arrested an Albanian people smuggler for all those lovies who say, oh, these are the poor, tired, hungry people coming from war zones. No, they're not. They're coming from Albania with bucket loads of cocaine. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, We've also got, uh, of course, Liz Truss to talk about. Her week wasn't great. We've got the blackouts. We've got stabbings in London in broad daylight to talk about as well. There's an awful lot going on. Molly Kingsley is also here. Uh, We'll be talking about the NHS and nurses. It's all happening. I came in this morning. My producer said, there's not much going on. I said, what? Anyway, he's fired. Uh, We've got a new one. Uh, This is Talk TV. Let's get it on. He hasn't really been fired. He's very good, actually. Uh, Richard Tice, very good morning to you. A very good morning. Just another quiet Friday morning, I mean, Mike. You know, people keep saying to me, how is it that there is so much news now all the time? I don't understand. I don't know the answer to that, but it certainly is quite well, it's, a robust... It's very simple. It's very simple because, sadly, uh, we're led by people of such incompetence yes. and such gross negligence that these crises are building up. When I gave a speech last Sunday, I said, we've got a crisis of crises. Yes. And that's the reality. It's true. The, the list is so long... You don't know where to begin, but you've touched on some there. You know, I spoke months ago, and I was sort of half laughing when I said, maybe we should all wash 15% less mm. and, you know, use, wash our clothes 15% less. Well, and therefore, extinction rebellion. But, but therefore, we'll all smell 15% more, but none of us will notice right. because we're all basically doing the same percentage. <laughs> but it's about, you know, and, and here, it, you know, it's coming, it's coming true. I mean, it's just unbelievable well, I mean, not that we're now told... We're now told we've got to basically uh, face blackouts, go and buy some shares in candle makers. Yes, wash, uh, your, wash your clothes in the washing machine at night instead of during the day. But, but here's the thing. The analogy is, it's a bit like 
sitting on an absolute, you know, your house, and it's on a pile of cash under mm. the floorboards. Yeah. Just three or four suitcases of cash under your floorboards, and you decide, no, I'm not going to use my cash. I'm going to go and borrow some money mm. from someone overseas. Yes. Even though I've got loads of cash under my own floorboards. Right. I mean, and it's I'm, complete madness. I'm going to pay through the nose for it yep. uh, because it's a lot more expensive than the stuff that I could access under the floor. Which uh, is mine. Which is also mine. And I'm going to then pay them interest on that ridiculous yep. amount of money uh, that we're borrowing from them because uh, we don't need to. Well, it's, what's it's, the point? And that is the point. You've got this treasure under our feet in the North Sea, here on shore, and we're not using it. And it's, you know, it's, it really has... I mean, the chickens have come home to roost big time. It's a massive wake-up call mm. for everybody. And what I hope is that this is the beginning of the end. It won't be quick, but it just this could be the beginning of the end of the net zero madness. Yes, but there's because, no sign of that, is there? That's well, the problem. I, I think there's a, as, as more and more people wake up to how this has happened, when we're sitting on all this free energy that we all own, people are going to say, well, what's going on mm. here? Yeah. You know, who's to blame? Yes. And uh, it's, it's utterly, utterly extraordinary. So I'm hoping that this is, this is a wake-up mm. call. Because I was listening to Nicola Sturgeon being interviewed um, a couple of hours ago, and she was talking about the oil and gas reserves up in the North Sea. And she said, you know, we've got lots of energy up here, uh, so much so that we are a net exporter of energy. But she said, obviously, we can, we must get away from fossil fuels. Well, well fine, why? if she doesn't want it, if, well, she doesn't, if she doesn't want it, we'll have it. Yeah. Because, you know, frankly, I mean, cheap fossil fuels, let's remember, is what's powered billions more people mm. to live on this planet, yeah. leading longer, healthier, happier lives. Right. And... Uh, it's helped make food cheaper and more plentiful. That is the reality yeah. over the last few decades. And now they want to get rid of it. Mm. I mean, it's just utter It makes madness. no sense. I mean, not only do they want to get rid of it, but they want to get rid of it and replace it with something far more difficult and less reliable and also far more expensive. And what she was saying was, we must become uh, more energy secure. And the way to become energy secure is to get off fossil fuels. No, it isn't. The way to become energy secure is to use your own energy. Exactly. Isn't it? To be self-reliant. Of whatever make, uh, kind. If they can make wind power work, great. But they can't. No, and, and I mean, I actually think that solar panels on people's homes uh, is a, is a great idea. But I'd, I want them to be made here in the UK, mm. not made in China right. or, or elsewhere. So you know, there's opportunities for renewables, but it's got to be smart. It's got to be affordable, and it shouldn't be subsidised yes. because we don't subsidise the fossil fuels that we own under yeah. our feet. I mean, I've been paying for somebody else to put solar panels on a, on their own house, but I can't get a subsidy to put them on my house. Yeah. Why am I paying for somebody else's house? It, it, it's all wrong. Mm. Uh, so there's opportunity, but I think it's a big wake-up call. And, uh, you know, you just have to look elsewhere in the world. Just look at the US. They haven't got very expensive yeah. energy and electricity. I wonder why. Mm. Because they're self-reliant because on their own energy. Because they're self-reliant. Very and simple. The national grid, I think, I think it's wrong to blame poor old Jeremy Carl uh, for scaremongering. He's just reporting what the national grid have said. The national grid are the ones who are doing the scaremongering. They're the ones who can't organise uh, the effective party in the brewery. Scotland, apparently, uh, can't export all the uh, energy you were telling me that they produce because there's no method by which they can do That's so. That's right. There's, a, there's an issue about blockages. There's a sort of shortage of cables and demand issues. You know, there is a point that a lot of these uh, offshore wind farms basically have been built in the wrong place. Yeah. And there's a massive, massive cost right. and technical issues mm. around transporting that electricity from wind farms in off the northeast coast of Scotland right. to where, of course, there's the greatest density of demand, mm. i.e. the southeast, where right. there's the greatest number of people. Where, yeah, everybody lives. I mean, nobody lives off the coast of the northeast coast That's of Scotland. For, for, I mean, a, bunch of, for a bunch of interesting dog. reasons. I saw a woman uh, who's going off to be some kind of postmistress, I think you can still say that in this day and age, uh, on some godforsaken island. Um, and she's going there. And, I mean, she and about two other women are going with uh, with her. Um, and they're going to be the only people there. Sounds idyllic. they're in the post office. They've <laughs> <laughs> got any letters to deliver. But anyway... Um, so, yeah, so Nicholas Sturgeon again was saying this morning uh, they've got seabed licences that they're now giving out, so they're going to have more wave power. But what's the point of producing a load of energy if you can't do anything with it? Well, that's, I mean, that's the point, and you've got to organise it so that it's at a sensible cost and that it's uh, preferably near where the demand is. Mm. You know, this, this is all to be done, but as I say, uh, you know, the na National Grid are doing the right thing, saying this is the challenge we face. Mm. But I think they're a bit late to the party. Some of us have been talking about this yes. for a very long time. Well, this is the thing. I mean, everything that has been going wrong in the country, you know, and I, I count the NHS and we'll talk about the nurses' strike. I, t I talk about the national infrastructure of transport, of roads, of rail, of everything that's falling apart, uh, of no nuclear plants being built, of no national grid that's worth a fag end, you know, of the Department for Climate Change dictating everything to everybody else. 
it hasn't been prepared. The ground, I mean, they talk about rolling the pitch, didn't they, at Liz Truss's speech yeah. uh, the other day. <laughs> you know, they haven't rolled the pitch in the UK or in UK PLC, it seems to me, I want, since about 2005. I want some accountability mm. because in the world of business, you know, if someone makes such a huge monumental mess up, mm. uh, I could be ruder, uh, then actually in business people get held to account yeah and you get you know you might get told look you've got it wrong you know don't make the same mistake but mm. they kept making the same mistake and frankly a bunch of very senior people need to be held to account and fired yeah because it's us the ordinary people up and down the country tens of millions mm. of people who are paying the price yeah. for this incompetence and whether it's political or whether it's being uh, run badly by the civil service the civil service it seems to me seem to be the people that are the big problem in almost every sort of aspect of life in Britain I think it's both. Mm. I think it's both. You know, we've seen the Nick Clegg videos from 2010 about yes. nuclear not being ready until 2022 and therefore it's not suitable. We've seen Ed Davey saying, you know, I'm the brilliant guy that prevented fracking. Yeah, thanks for that, Ed. Yeah, well That's done, why Ed. we've got uh, yeah. lots of expensive That's energy. That's why we're said. importing gas from overseas, creating three to four mm. times more CO2. All of this stuff is utter incompetence mm. from senior politicians, senior civil servants. And they need to be held to account. Yeah. Many of them need to be fired. And it struck me this morning listening to the callers to Jeremy's show about the NHS and nurses and whether they should be paid more or whether they're not paid enough or whether they're working too hard and all of that. And it struck me that, you know, it's the NHS that doesn't work, you know. And I accept that the Secretary of State for Health do have some responsibility. But it's the running of the NHS itself which surely should be to blame. Well, it was fascinating, the interview with, that Jeremy had with a caller yeah. who was a nurse who I think had just come off a 12-hour uh, a, a shift, yeah. who did admit that actually uh, in a district hospital there were something like two chief executives, mm -hmm. there were five or six times more managers than there used to be yeah. years ago, and far too many diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion uh, officers and managers... And even she admitted that actually that's where the money's going mm. and that's where the time and resource is going. And so you can completely see when you know that people on the front line in the NHS doing a brilliant job, trying their best yeah. in the wards, when they know what the problem is, mm. then I suspect actually that's the truth. That Do you is know the what problem. I found out the other day? The, the car park behind um, Guy's Hospital there, which is an NCP car park, is on property owned by the NHS. I know this because the guy working there said they're selling it uh, and it's going to be turned into flats. Right now, I don't know what the NHS is doing um, operating in the commercial property business, but I don't think that's really where they should be because they're probably not very good at that either. Well, the truth is they actually sit on huge land holdings yeah. up and down the country and they're very, very bad at actually extracting the right value mm. from it. For example, what they should be doing with the land holdings, maybe they should be building affordable uh, housing and apartments yeah. uh, for some of their, for some yeah. of their key workers. Why don't, they put, why don't they turn them into care homes? I mean, there's all manner of things they could do. All manner of things. Care homes, what are they operating staff accommodation. Commercial property I don't mind them being for. commercial as long as they're being smart about yeah, it. Yeah, but they won't be, though. It, that's the point. These are the people that can't even get cheap medicine despite the fact they're a monopoly. You know, they're paying through the nose for stuff that they should be getting for pretty much, uh, you know, bucket list prices. So, and in a sense, you know, you look at the, the whole issue of, of nurses' pay. The reality is that um, we are spending on healthcare about the European average per person, uh, you know, per head, per year. Mm. So it's not a question of money, it's how badly it's being spent. And if money wasn't so badly spent on managers and diversity officers, there'd be a lot more money to mm. go around to pay nurses a higher at more appropriate salary. That's that's the simple, simple reality. Simple economics, you would think. I mean, it sounds straightforward, Richard, when you it say does, it. It does, but that's common sense. It really is. And this is the home of common sense, luckily. So we've got more of it to come. We're going to be playing you a nice little video to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. Uh, some lovely uh, lovies, actors, uh, actors and actresses, even though they don't like to be called that, have made a little video about refugees coming to this country. Uh, we'll be telling you about an Albanian that's just been arrested for people smuggling. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Friday. There's lots going on. Donna Harvey's going to be talking to us about the US of A. We'll get the latest on Elon Musk and his bid for Twitter, uh, which seems to maybe hit the buffers again. Uh, but before we do anything else, Richard Tice is here, uh, leader of Reform UK, also with his big show coming up tomorrow. Uh, sorry, not tomorrow, on Sunday at 10. Um, and we're going to talk about the uh, arrest this morning of an Albanian people smuggler. Let's have a look, though, at the Refugee Council's video. They put this out um, a couple of days ago. And this is some lovies trying to make a point. You're a mother fleeing with your toddler and a baby from bombs falling on your home. You're a criminal. You're an elderly grandmother. You have trouble walking and you're trying to reunite with family. You're a criminal. You're heavily pregnant, trying to escape with nothing but the clothes on your back. 
you're a criminal. You're a teenager and you don't even know where your family is or if they're even alive. You're a criminal. You're a diabetic. You've lost your medicine. You've not eaten for days. You're a criminal. You're in a wheelchair trying to escape the dangers of war. You have to cross streets strewn with rubble and muddy fields. You're a criminal. You desperately need to find a safe place. but can't find an officially sanctioned route. You're a criminal. This government wants to criminalize desperate refugees for taking what they see as the wrong path to safety. It's not always possible to take the right path when you're running from bombs. No matter where you're from or which war you are running from, your life matters. No refugee trying to find safety should be treated like a criminal. So, uh, that's one view. Um, you might say you're an Albanian drug dealer running from a drug gang and you've arrived in Britain with some cocaine. You're a criminal. Richard. Well, there we are. And uh, that is the reality because, as pe many people know, I broke the story that four in ten of the people coming across the channel were from Albania, mm -hmm. NATO member, EU applicant. <clears throat> you can come here cheaply, yeah. legally, on a flight, and work here legally. Yes. So why would you come uh, paying much more uh, with a much more dangerous trip mm. unless there's something else going on? Yes. And I think this is a really key arrest, actually. Mm. Yes. An Albanian national, 30 years old, arrested overnight by the National Crime Agency. In the UK. In the UK. And uh, I think the reality is, sadly, that obviously not everybody, but many of those people coming across the channel, the evidence is increasingly clear, mm. and the government's now admitted it's six in it's ten. It's now six in ten, isn't it? In are fact, Albanians. They've, even, they've even hinted that that's maybe lower than they, that may they be, actually That believe. may be low. And you have to say, well, are these either being trafficked into uh, almost as foot soldiers for the drugs gangs? Mm. And here's more evidence from the overnight arrest. Yeah. So, uh, and the look, person they've arrested um, was found with stashes of cash, as you might expect, because yes. we know uh, that they're charging an awful lot of money to bring people here. Uh, we also know that many of the people who are being brought here are being pushed into sort of slavery type jobs, uh, possibly uh, criminal enterprises and all of that. Um, you know, so the, I mean, I think it's really disingenuous. Well, and I know well, that these lovies are not very bright, most of them, but, you know, they are convinced that we are somehow well, running I've, a cruel operation in I've Britain. Got a, I've got a technical problem for them, yeah. which is that uh, a bit of bedtime reading, I actually did read the, uh, the 1951 Geneva Convention. Mm. It's not a stimulating read, but there's bets that are interesting. Article 31, Clause 1, says that unless you are coming directly from the country of persecution, directly, mm. you are an illegal refugee. Yeah. That is what the 1951 Geneva Convention says. So if you're illegal... That means actually you're breaking the law. And you are a criminal. That means therefore you are a criminal. Yeah. So um, that video is completely disingenuous. Yeah. Beautifully made, sounds very nice. Yes. But the reality Tugs is... at the heartstrings. It pulls at the heartstrings. But the reality is, sadly, we're all being ripped off. Mm. That is the harsh reality. Yes. We're all being ripped off by these, these drug gangs, these criminal overlords, uh, these traffickers... And we're being made a laughing stock, mm. a complete and utter laughing And it's stock. costing us an absolute It's fortune. costing us billions and billions of pounds. And it suits the vested interests of big business, mm. of big lawyers, mm. of big charities. Lots of people on this side of the channel are making good money, mm. real money, real profits yeah. from... Uh, this illegal activity yeah. and we've just got to call it out for what it is exactly. and it's and difficult. the government's doing that but they're being called cruel they're being called you know barbaric uh, that they don't have any sympathy for people which is absolutely not the case because if they were barbaric it would have been stopped a long time ago well the fact that it, it hasn't been stopped it's, is, it's, is it's, it's actually to... it's got nothing to do with in my view barbarism what it's got to do is competence mm. and let's remember this is the government that for the last 18 months said we're going to stop this by bringing in the new nationality and borders bill well they've brought that in now and now what are they saying? Oh, we need more legislation. Mm. Well, hang on. You've just said for the last year and a half, you've got legislation to deal with it. You brought that in. Now you're saying the legislation doesn't work. You've got to bring in more. Yeah. That's a definition. That is an exact definition of pure incompetence. Yeah, and people say the good thing about Suella Braverman being in the Home Office is that she's worked in the Home Office as a lawyer. Well, I don't think that's a recommendation because the Home Office lawyers have singularly failed to stop this from happening no, and they've lost every single case they've ever had. She gave a very good speech on Tuesday. We all wish her well in stopping this, uh, you know, th this illegal mm. activity that's costing us billions of pounds. 
and leading to you know serious anxiety yeah. uh, and you know massive disruption in communities up and down the country, luxury hotels mm. being filled up with uh, with asylum yeah. seekers, and uh, you know so we wish her well, but I'm afraid the track record at Pretty Patel mm. talked a good game, she talked the talk. Yeah. But never delivered. And handed loads of money over. Yesterday, Liz Truss met with Emmanuel Macron. They issued some joint statement. Now, I'm sure you're probably not convinced by that. But what are they supposedly going to do together? They say they're going to stop dangerous illegal crossings. We've heard it all before. Yeah. We've heard it all before. We, we, we need a concrete deal between France and the United Kingdom where you have it's the only one way you pick up and take back. Yeah. And you process them within a fortnight in a joint processing centre in northern France. Mm. And the vast majority, we know our economic migrants, their return from where they came, and the genuine um, um, asylum seekers who are genuinely fleeing war, persecution and terror, then of course, in the usual way, as we always have done, as a welcoming nation for genuine uh, refugees, we would take our share, France would take their share, and others in the same Mm. way. Let's not forget, you know, we are actually very, you know, generously, we're taking... We've taken tens of thousands from Afghanistan. We've taken over 100,000 from Ukraine, quite mm. rightly, mm. quite rightly. Uh, we're taking, obviously, hundreds of thousands from Hong Kong because yeah. of what China's done to Hong Kong. So we are doing more than our bit as a nation. Yeah. And I think that needs to be respected. That should be, uh, in a sense, we should be proud of what we're doing there. But we are a small island. Mm. We simply cannot take everybody. We're struggling with the infrastructure. We're struggling with our houses and we're struggling with our mm. health care and so on and so on. And... And at the end of the day, money and space is not limitless. It's just a simple no, fact. it is a simple fact. Let's finish up uh, briefly with the three people stabbed yesterday after intervening. Um, this has been something that people have warned about for a long time, that it will soon just overspill into everyday life in London. And that would appear to be what it is. And it's not just London. We've got uh, a young teenager up in the northeast of England uh, who's about to be appearing in a magistrate's court this morning for stabbing to death a 14-year-old boy. And, uh, you know, this it, it's horrific and... Sadly, we're seeing this in towns and cities across the country, a com- an absolute surge in knife crime, mm. in, in the carrying of knives by young people, young gangs, for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. And it is com- it's just completely unacceptable. And you've got to have a- an attitude of, of zero tolerance of criminal activity. And people have got to know that crime does not pay mm. at any level. And that requires a complete sea change in the leadership in uh, in the police up and down the country. It's heartening to hear Sir Mark Rowley uh, of the Met now saying that uh, every burglary will be, uh, you know, will be result in a visit from mm. uh, from someone from the police across the country. You, but you sort of think, well, that used to happen 50 or 60 yeah. years ago. Why did it How stop? How is that news? How is that news? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no question with knife crime, it's got to be, it's got to be dealt with. We've got to, we've just, you know, it's completely unacceptable mm. and you know I, I take my hat off to those very brave passers-by who yeah. tried to stop wrongdoing yeah and in a sense we'd all like to think that we would do the same to try and protect a innocent person mm. and stop wrongdoing but of course many people understandably are going to take a you know a step back and say well is there a knife involved mm. exactly right Richard good to see you uh, we'll see you on Sunday 10 o'clock Richard ties with the uh, Sunday sermon of course and much else besides uh, coming up though uh, we're going to be talking to Andy Mayer about the blackout warning from the National Grid it's only their job to keep the electricity on isn't it this is Talk TV on DAB Plus on the app Talk Radio and Talk TV Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do, much to talk about. We've got many of you who have already called in. Um, We know, of course, uh, that you are the most important part of this show and we will give you the voice that nobody else gives you here at Talk TV uh, because we are the only place to find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Um, Nat says this. This is ridiculous. I'm listening on the radio. Was that the woke Emma Thompson up the front? Yes, it was. Refugee Council video. This does not pull at my heartstrings. France is not war-torn. I never see any women running from bombs on these boats. Stop these criminals and stop them now. Um, On the right side says, when addressing the woke celebrity refugee, don't just focus on the Albanians. Point out anyone who enters a safe country has found safe refuge and if they cross into another country, they are seeking better economic opportunities. Also, there is no war or persecution 
in France. Right now, though, uh, we're going to move away from that story. We're still going to take your calls on it, of course, but Andy Mayer is here, energy analyst at the Institute of Economic Affairs. And this from Jackie uh, says, Mike, if renewables are so effective, why are we faced with blackouts and extortionate bills? Uh, This blaming Russia when we only get 3% is a smokescreen to divert from politicians who manufactured all of this. And I have to say, the front page of the Daily Mail this morning, uh, you'll see there, uh, says blackout deal sparks a storm because basically the national grid in its wisdom, uh, the organisation that's supposed to control our energy supply, our electricity supply in this country, and supposed to make sure that we don't run out of it, seems to have run into a bit of a dead end. Let's find out what's going on. Andy, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, I mean, it comes as no surprise, I guess, like many things in this country, the national grid don't have a clue what they're actually doing. Um, Why would they come out and warn people about blackouts if there isn't really any absolute surety that it's going to happen? Well, with blackouts, there's never any surety in the here. The National Grid is doing their job, which is to advise the public and the government what the risks are. And to be very clear, um, although the headlines are bad, they're overall assessment is that the risk of blackouts remains low. The expectation is that we will get through this winter without there being any. Right. And that's only a surprising statement because we're absolutely used to that being the case. We rarely have blackouts right. in this country. Well, I mean, I remember, you won't because you're not old enough, but I remember the 70s when we had a whole sort of school term of blackouts because there were minor strikes, there were um, power station strikes, there was no power going through the grid, uh, there was no coal being put into the power stations. The whole thing was a mess. It was a big political punch up between the unions uh, and the prime minister. Um, and we actually had an hour of, of, of uh, power in the morning for breakfast and an hour of power in the evening for dinner. And the rest of the time, no power at all. So, I mean, it can be done, but you shouldn't really have to do it at this, uh, this particular moment in history. Yeah, what we have in common today with that period is these are both times where the government has got excessively involved in energy markets Mm. and has made them dramatically less secure in the process by trying to take decisions that would ordinarily be taken by companies who want to sell us energy. So that's part of the problem. I mean, what you're describing about the way it happens, I mean, it should be a little bit reassuring because there are established and well-ordered plans in order to ensure that if there are blackouts, which means there isn't enough energy being produced, then it will affect people across the country fairly. So people will have phased blackouts bit by bit for short periods of time. And if there's a really serious problem, which nobody expects, then obviously for longer. But it shouldn't be the case that, say, one village in Surrey is getting shut down completely while everybody else is enjoying power. But it seems to me this is similar to the water companies issuing hosepipe bans. You know, the water companies are responsible for billions of litres of water leaking into the ground because their pipes don't work and their, you know, their systems of, uh, of administration are not very good and their infrastructure is hopeless, right? Similarly, uh, the national grid, because of their inefficiencies and their inability uh, to get enough energy into the system, are suggesting that we have to go without. Well, it's madness, isn't it? Well, the national grid aren't the generators, so the buck fundamentally stops with the government. It's the government that's decided that we need this very complicated mixed system and the national grid is the organisation then has to deliver it. Mm. So they're struggling against the madness that says that we need to get rid of oil oil and gas as fast as possible, stick renewables on the grid when the grid isn't ready for renewables and actually can't deploy them as fast as the renewable companies would like and there isn't any backup. So that's what's creating the excessive risk. So for example with wind power, uh, one of the things that could happen in winter is the wind doesn't blow very much. And although the grid is saying typically it blows about one day in five or a little bit less, it can actually drop to about 1% of its entire capacity. And at that point, you've got a really serious problem. You've got the entire capacity margin, which is what the grid grid said is the safety margin, disappears entirely. And then we are looking at blackouts. But what is the uh, definition of the wind not blowing very much? Because, I mean, I spend quite a lot of time on various coastal parts of this country. I also spend quite a lot of time walking around London Bridge. And it seems pretty windy to me. Um, And I don't know whether there's a measure that you can give me that just because to the naked eye it seems windy, it's not actually windy enough. I mean, do they have a measurement for that? Well, the measure as far as wind power is concerned is the actual output and the risk scenario is about 1%. No, but what uh, I mean is when you say when you say it's not, it no, I'm asking when you say it's not windy enough for the wind power to work, like for the wind to be generated uh, by or the electricity to be generated mm-hmm. by wind. Does that mean it has to be very windy? I mean, what sort of miles an hour of wind do you need to generate wind power? That, uh, that's a great question. I would give you an inaccurate answer without looking it up, but <laughs> I mean, clearly you need a little bit of wind, but not a hurricane. Right. Somewhere so sometimes there's too much wind. In other words. 
Uh, rarely in this country we are blessed with reasonably mild weather. We don't tend to have mm. many storms. Mm. We all remember the one back in the 80s. Even I'm old enough for that, Mike. Yeah, 87. Remember it well. Uh, and it wasn't predicted very well by Michael Fish. Billy says this. He says, I'm an Englishman living in South Africa. We experience load shedding, uh, which is power cuts two to three times a day for up to two and a half hours. Perhaps if the population in the UK experienced the same, they will understand where the futility of net zero is taking them. What do you make of that? Well... I mean, net, net zero in itself, if, if you take it as a scientific argument, is correct. That if you want to decarbonise, then you have to get to a net zero world. The problem is the political pressure on it that's ideological, which is making it go far too fast. I mean, for net zero to work, you've got to have the technology ready, which for us means the renewables are there, but they are connected to the grid and they're backed up by storage. And that's not the world we're living in at the moment. All those options are too expensive. And what we need in the interim is lots of gas and gas power. Mm. Well, yes, of course. And anybody sensible would say absolutely hurrah to that particular point of view, except for all governments in all countries of the world, apart from China and Russia. Well, even now, um, they're debating whether or not, I know it's the BBC headline about the new licences in the North Sea, and the headline was along the lines of uh, government to issue new licences, despite warning from climate scientists. Well, no, frankly... The climate scientists have a role to play, but we are in a real energy crisis where people are fearing having to choose between yeah. heating and eating. And if there are blackouts and freezeouts, it's a real risk to public health. Yeah, but so we've got—I mean, you know—we've right got on the one not, side not of the yeah, on the one side of the argument, you've got all consumers who would like to be able to stay warm this winter, uh, and even the ones who want enough power to charge their electric vehicles, you know. And on the other side, you've got the people that pour buckets of excrement over memorials uh, and set fire to their own arms because apparently the earth is going to blow up if we don't stop uh, using any kind of fossil fuel. I mean, it seems to me that the climate um, uh, scientists are on the wrong side of the argument. Yeah, and there's a a lot of uh, bad faith in the way that they have spent 20 years terrifying children. And some of those children are now growing up, or rather in the case of just stop oil, not growing up and exerting what it seems to be very severe mental health problems mm. in the public arena by the way they choose to campaign about an issue where they've effectively already won because the government does take the general picture very seriously and is trying, in their view, to do the right thing. Mm. But they're under this pressure to do more and more and more, even if it makes no sense, even if it means that we could have blackouts and freezeouts in the winter. I know. Unbelievable. Andy Mayer, thank you very much indeed. Very sensible man. NGO analyst at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Can't quite say. How about this from Paul? Mike, I was in prep this morning. Millennials and Generation Z looking all moody and miserable, ordering lattes, cappuccinos, mochas, etc. with oat and soy-based milk. Bring on the cost of living crisis. It might reconfigure and recalibrate an entire generation for the better. You might well be right. This is Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Friday, the sun is shining, you know, um, we keep being told there's going to be blackouts. I don't think there are going to be blackouts, but it's always possible because the people running the country don't always seem to know precisely what they're doing, do they? Uh, However, we are here uh, to cheer you up, to bring you good news as well as other sorts of news. Um, Mike, the government don't want to do an advert about turning down a room thermostat because it's controlling. What about all the propaganda they swamped us over COVID? Uh, Isn't that controlling? Well, it is, says Phil. And the point is this. In Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon does want to issue those kinds of warnings, does want to tell you exactly what you should be doing with your thermostat. I don't think what we do with our thermostats is any of their... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM business to be honest and neither is it much else that they'd like to tell us about but we will be talking in this hour to molly kingsley uh, she's got plenty to say about many things including uh, government interference not just uh, in the business of energy but also in the business of your social life in the business of your sex life in the business of all sorts of things uh, that they would rather control 
I think we should give a very strong message to the government of this country, and by that I mean the government of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but also the individual um, devolved governments of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland to just butt out of our lives. Thanks very much indeed. We don't really need any help with what we should be doing. Molly, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Of course, co-founder of Us For Them. I forgot to mention that bit. Um, we should be talking, I suppose, first up about family life in this country and about children and about um, all sorts of debates going on, particularly in Scotland at the moment, around the whole transgender scenario. J.K. Rowling came out yesterday um, and called Nicola Sturgeon an enemy of women. Um, Nicola Sturgeon this morning being interviewed on the BBC denied that and said I fought for women's rights all my life however she now still thinks it's a good idea uh, for people who have lived in another gender for three months to be able to adopt that gender legally without any sort of um, medical intervention yeah I mean I think it's pretty hard isn't it to listen to someone describe themselves I think Sturgeon said she was a staunch feminist Mm. but she's unable to call a woman a woman I mean you know it, it kind of Great, really. But I think there's really serious issues here, obviously for women, but also for children, actually, as well. And I think... Because they've lowered the age, haven't they, up in Scotland? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think you've got the whole issue around women, you know, being whether you ought to be able to... Um, self-identify without any medical diagnosis, which obviously is what Sturgeon is saying, right. and, you know, when that then starts impeding on women's spaces and women's sport. Mm. And I think where I would come at it from is, from a child point of view, you're exactly right. The the age, I mean, it's just insane, but the age at which children can identify mm. and call themselves different gender is four, and they right. can do that without parental consent. I mean, what else can they do at the age of four? And I don't ask that as a, as, I mean, I've been a parent, I am, I am a parent, um, I've had four children who have all been four at one point or another. I don't believe there's anything that you're allowed to do at the age of four to self-determine anything, is there? No, of course not. I mean, you know, at four, and I've got a six-year-old, mm. so I've sort of lived yeah. through this recently. And, you know, at four, you are a very young child. You are barely aware, I think, of things like gender. You just want to play. Now, that means, you know, of course you might want to experiment. Mm. And we want to encourage children to experiment and sure. to, you know, dress up as, as... Well, my son, right, who's now 27 and lives in Long Beach and works for a car company, he used to quite like dressing up as a girl when he was young. And in fact, I'm pretty sure his sister did quite a lot of it. Um, and then we'd parade him downstairs and we'd walk around and it was great fun. But there was no suggestion that he wanted to change his gender. No, well, I mean, and I'm living through this now, actually, with my youngest child, who is a six-year-old girl and has consistently dressed as a boy, likes boy things, likes playing football. Right. And actually, you know, if, um, now you wonder, we sleepwalking into this because mm. I suspect 10 or 15 years ago, this would have been a total non-issue. Right. You know, there would have been no prospect of a child at that age thinking they could change gender Mm. but now she comes home from school because of course these things filter down and they are taught I guess at an older level but you know the brothers the old brothers and sisters come home and Mm. she comes home saying things like oh you know I can be a boy I can get my hair cut and then I'm a boy and and you kind of think wow this is a real safeguarding it actually for so many of our children right now I speak to quite a lot of people that work in the school system either as teachers or as um, you know assistants or whatever and there is definitely a narrative uh, where children are encouraged to talk about it and encouraged to kind of recognize that it's something they can do and i think that's insane so yeah. i mean i personally i think the gender stereotyping i know we've talked a bit about this before but i think yeah. gender stereotyping is a real problem yeah. so you know if you are a girl that wants to play football and yeah. wants to wear trousers right which my little girl does you right. ought to be able to do that yes. it does not mean that you're a boy <laughs> yeah i mean what happens to the old arguments that used to be about um you know, why should you have to wear pink because you're a girl? And shops that started to say, actually, we're going to stop stocking pink and blue uh, baby clothes because that's not fair. I mean, was that the beginning of it, do you think? Well, I think it might have been. But like personally, I think that's very sensible right. because I think actually anything that forces children into these very tight boxes at mm. an early age is really unhelpful. Yeah. So I think we should be fluid about that right. kind of thing. And we should let our girls wear boy clothes. And if boys want to wear girl clothes, you know, fine. Mm. I don't have an issue with that. Right. But what seems to be happening now is you've extrapolated that to say, you know, it's one stage further that actually girls can change to be boys and boys can change to be girls. And, you know, I I personally, I think the cases in which that is the case are very rare. I think you should not be encouraging children to think that they can change because these are irreversible medical procedures. And that's where it starts to get tricky, isn't it? Once they start to go from being, I think I might be a boy or I think I might be a girl to now I need to alter my physical body in order to maintain what I think is in my head. And so 
I mean, it seems to me to be an incredibly dangerous area. And we've seen so many people regret that decision that they made when they were younger. We've even seen, um, you know, the clinic being closed down uh, recently. Yep. We've seen all sorts of, you know, ridiculous situations which which are kind of being created they rather, are, rather than existing beforehand. They are. You know? we, and, you know, we're almost, and I hate to use this word, but I think we're almost grooming yeah. our children into this. Because, of course, if you tell a four-year-old that actually they can call themselves a four-year-old girl, they can mm. call themselves a boy, yeah. and that they can identify as a boy that they don't have to tell their parents that. Well, that child is going to grow up feeling like a boy and thinking they're like yeah. a boy. So, you know, you're setting them on a path to a medical intervention mm. that right. is quite hard, I think, to claw back from. So, you know, let the kids wear what clothes they want, right. but you don't teach them that they're the other sex or can mm. be the other sex easily because it's it's not true. Right. And what about the pronouns part of all of this? Because I feel like that kind of feeds into it a little bit as well, because what I was going to say about the people I talk to in schools is that it's quite trendy now to want to be a different gender to the one you were born with, you know, mm. uh, or the one you were assigned at birth, as they like to say, which is so ridiculous. I've, I wouldn't, I'm saying it very tongue in cheek. But, you know, so it's actually kind of, particularly in private schools as well, I'm told, um, children who are quite well off are quite liking the idea of it. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the same thing, isn't uh, it? And I, um, so this probably won't go down too well with your listeners, but, you know, I actually don't have an issue with people that want to call themselves they. I think a neutral pronoun has quite a lot in favour yeah. of it. For the same reason, actually, you're not forcing people into uh, boxes. Where I do draw the line and have a real issue, actually, is, you know, the switching pronouns totally because right. actually if you're a girl if you're a little girl suddenly saying no I'm he well again you're making that you know transition yes. in, a, in a very literal sense to well, another you gender to, well, you get to very weird places like Eddie Izzard mm. uh, being put on a, an all-female shortlist to be an MP and you kind of go right yeah. um that's that's kind of mad um, because he's not a woman. Well, and you just can't defy biology like no. this. I don't see how you can. And I think, you know, back to the JK Rowling mm. side of it, it, of course, starts being very problematic from a women's rights and actually women's welfare and safeguarding point of view because then, you know, you do have these very difficult cases of what you do mm. about unisex toilets, right. what you do about women's sports. I mean, right. we've seen how disastrous this has been yeah. for women's sport. And actually, you just think... And it's dangerous in some dangerous. cases as well. I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon this morning said, basically, that the thing to be frightened of is predatory men rather than trans women, right? Now, but surely if a predatory man is claiming to be a trans woman, having done nothing other than just assumed an identity of a woman, whatever that is, mm. um, then that predatory man is a trans woman and is a dangerous individual. Of course, and that's, that's more dangerous in some and way. And by, by changing the law and making it possible for that predatory man to be in the company of women in places where otherwise he would not have been, then that's the problem, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. It's, it's a screaming safeguarding risk. Right. And, it, you know, it, I, it's also something that you, you sense a huge majority of people are desperately uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, again, you have to ask, who, where's this coming from? Who right. actually wants this? Are these very powerful lobbies mm. that seem to have a disproportionate sway mm. on politicians outlook yeah, on because these the number of, of people who are in this in this particular position is a tiny percentage of the population you know it's a much smaller percentage of the population than than the, the gay population for example and so it seems to me that it's the tail wagging the dog isn't it yeah i think it is i mean and you know and that's not to say that the people who are in that position shouldn't be protected and shouldn't have rights but sure it's easier to protect them rather than putting everybody else at risk, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it's exactly what, we, you know, we've seen this in other contexts as well, where, you know, the majority are asked to bear these huge burdens mm. and infringements that in some cases are very dangerous mm. to protect a few people. Yeah. And, and exactly, I mean, I personally would say that's the wrong way around. Yeah, exactly right. So in Scotland, that's an irreversible situation, presumably, at the moment, is it? That's not going to change. Well, it doesn't look like she's backing down. No, it really yeah. doesn't. And as far as the, um, the sports uh, analogy is concerned, Again, you've got people saying, you know, well, of course, uh, you know, trans women should be allowed access, but it seems to be getting a bit more kind of sensible. It does. Yeah, I mean, it does look like some of the sporting bodies are beginning to draw a line. And this is just one of those things you watch. And just as a bystander, Mm. you think, how was it allowed Mm. to get this far? Where you have men, and obviously Leah Thomas is a prime example, but you have, you know, people that were men Mm. who may now be identifying in some way, but have not fully transitioned as a woman. 
to a woman competing with women. Yeah. And you just look at the physiques and they're so different. And, and, in, you just... and in team sort of contact sports like rugby, <laughs> football even, you know, certainly boxing and MMA, it's just dangerous, isn't it? It's dangerous and it's incredibly unfair. Yeah. And, it, you know, it actually amazes me that, um, you know, anyone would want to compete under those conditions. Yes. You know, either the biological women or the trans women because it's so obviously not a level playing mm. field it kind of makes a mockery mm. of the competition and and i think this is another example of actually where you know the silent majority who may be very uneasy with this can do a lot of harm yes. by staying silent because we seem to let these aspects of life which are just they defy common sense mm. and they raise so many safeguarding flags and we yeah. let them get so far it then it's very difficult yeah. to claw, claw back from whereas actually if someone said at the outset you know, this is patently ludicrous yeah <laughs> you know just what which are we it doing is. which yeah. it is of course and i wonder if it got that way because nobody was really paying attention and as far as the day conversation goes i don't mind what people call themselves i just don't want to be told what i have to call people you know because no. i just don't like having yeah. to do that um, you can call me whatever you want. I don't really care. But don't tell me what I have to call you they uh, just because it makes you feel better. You know, it seems mad. But stay with us because we've got lots to do, Molly. We want to talk about the birthing parents uh, as opposed to mum and dad. This is a council uh, instruction now. Also, the pandemic inquiry started um, this week. Let's find out what's going to go uh, wrong with that or what's going to go right with it. Uh, we shall see. Uh, Molly Kingsley coming up. More from her, more from me. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story that I told Richard Tice in a truncated version, actually, or Jeremy Carl earlier, um, about uh, people telling you what to do in this kind of uh, um, in epidemic of instruction that's going on because we were just talking there about the energy blackouts that are looming and why some politicians think we should be given warnings about how we should do our washing and what time we should do things and maybe you'd like me to eat in the middle of the night just in case I cook at the wrong time of the day well no that's not happening Molly Kingsley's here let's talk about the Covid inquiry that kicked off this week sort of with a bit of a whimper really but uh, what's going on there well it's interesting that it kicked off with a whimper isn't it so you know the world has moved on as Mark Drakeford said and it certainly seems some of the British press have mm. Which is unfortunate because actually it's really important that if you're going to have an inquiry, mm. it isn't a whitewash. Right. So actually, and we know what happens when you take your eye off the ball. <laughs> you know, people do things that they're not supposed to be doing. Well, you know, if it's important enough to have an inquiry, it is absolutely imperative that it is a fair and balanced inquiry mm. and that it receives the same level of kind of public scrutiny that, that one needs it right. to um, so it kicked off, yeah, with module one, which is on pandemic preparedness. And I think a couple of interesting things. I think the first is the list of core participants. So they're the people that are called or who apply to the inquiry to be, you know, as it sounds, right. core to it. Um, that was um, published earlier this week. And it is very largely made up of government departments. Right. And a few other groups. The groups are um, bereaved families groups. As you know, very clearly, really important yeah. that people who lost loved ones due to COVID are heard. But I think the observation on that is, you know, whilst obviously those who lost due to COVID need to be representative, you know, what about all those people who lost relatives yeah. due to lockdown right. or to safeguarding mm -hmm. failures, you know, there's, and th those or people. care homes even. And care homes, yeah. exactly, and the errors there. So it's not immediately obvious that that balance is there, although it does get to call other witnesses too. So. Right. Because preparedness was, was all very well. I mean, you can't really go on and on about that because nobody expected the thing that happened to happen. And I remember talking to a couple of MPs at the time who said oh well you know we did have this pandemic um sort of practice run but then nothing was ever instituted and one of the things that was recommended for example was that they buy a load of ventilators and it turned out that that wasn't actually what was required and so if they'd if they'd done all the things that were recommended by by the dry run if you like it wouldn't have made any difference well it's interesting isn't it? there's always that best laid plan yeah. thing and it does rather beg the question though is what are we doing spending all this money on you know pandemic plans right. if actually everyone thinks they're a waste of time i mean i think from a ch children and education point of view the one thing i would say against that maybe is that in one of these plans there was um, emphasis on department for education needing to come up with a plan to mm. keep schools open yes. so to call in re retired teachers and to kind of develop an 
mentality of, of course, we can't close yeah. schools because that would be insane right. and would present a safeguarding risk to millions of children. Mm. And that was written into the plan and it was just ignored. And yeah. I think it's that kind of thing that actually I would say, well, you know, if someone thought it was important enough to write into a plan, why didn't it mm. happen? And, you know, how many children's lives might have been saved yes. had it happened? And I wonder also as well whether uh, anyone will remember Keir Starmer during that period, who was consistently asking for close, for, for, for school closures and for consistently preventing or trying to prevent them from reopening, because an awful lot of schools actually took it upon themselves to do more rather than less. There's a guy who, who runs a couple of schools in London who I've spoken to who uh, is brilliant, and he said he identified some vulnerable children and said to uh, his teachers, right, you're going to go out and get them and you're going to bring them into school every day because otherwise there's going to be a problem at home because their home lives are chaotic and not very good. So he did a brilliant job of that. But unfortunately, most schools didn't do that. I think that's exactly right. And it was the schools that did, I think, were the outliers. In fact, I think there was even one case of, I think, during the second school closures, Mm. um, a school had opened in defiance of the national ban and D of E told them to close it again so it was quite extreme I think yeah Yeah. that really was let's talk about the um, inclusivity guide that councils have been uh, given uh, in which it's been said they shouldn't use the words mum or dad Oh. <laughs> I mean, when is but, it going to stop? Oh, it's just Make get, it get stop. me off, get me off. This. Yeah. But I think actually, so what they're saying is not mum, dad, but birthing parent. Yes. Now, you know, they're doing this so people aren't offended. Well, you know, I can't pretend I'm really offended about this, right. but equally, birthing parent, are you are you for real? And you know, for it's many, not much of a card, is it? It's really not for many women. Birthing is actually a tremendously traumatic yeah, I experience. Bet. Yeah, it's pretty traumatic. You know, and for, for men, some of the my, men, you know, my husband fainted yeah. during did it, he? so yeah, he did. <laughs> so you know, the thought he'd be called birthing parent, and it's also it's just it's delusional. Who wants this? Mm. And actually, I think there are a couple of serious points to make on this because you know it's funny and it's ridiculous, and actually the this is is the local government association yes. which is almost like the aggregate of lots of different councils now they've actually taken this guidance off their website yeah. i tried to find it earlier and they say that because of the feedback they're discussing it, oh yes that's um, good well so you know this is why you can learn about how important it is to fight back and to push mm. back because if you don't it becomes sort of you know the norm whereas if you do push back a bit sometimes People will go, Okay, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Well, you've got to ask as well, where's the budget coming Mm. from from this? So, you know, in the same week, actually, we've just learned that budgets of local councils are set to lose a billion pounds just because of inflationary Mm. pressures. So, you know, these are associations and councils that are paid for by the taxpayer. Who is paying them to come up with this nonsense? And also, who are they accountable for? You know, mm. it kind of makes you think more deeply about these organisations, yeah. doesn't it? You well, think, it well, does. I mean, the councils in this country actually are vastly uh, overfunded, incredibly overstuffed with people that don't need to be there. And what people need to be reminded of, for me constantly, is that most of the money that we give to them in our council tax goes to their pay and goes to their pension. And hardly any of it goes to any services, you know. So it's literally a, a licence to, to give people loads of jobs and pay them quite well for it. Well, it is. And when you see such a lack of common sense, I think it's really, really troubling. Because you. So then, you know, I had a look at what this local government association mm. does. And it's got a very broad remit. So it's basically got fingers in many pies, yeah. including, you know, schools, children, right. education, social yeah. care, health. Policing sometimes. Yeah, policing. And you think, wow, you yeah. know, that people so devoid of common sense... Yeah have such a say over all these mm. areas with little and accountability. Paid when I was in Edinburgh, um, I don't know what the head of the, the, the council gets paid down here or in various different places, but the leader of the Edinburgh um, City Council was on about half a million a year. Yeah, And, and, when and you they think... were told that, and when, when we asked them why, they was like, oh, because it's a, it's a very big budget. They've got a £40 billion budget. This is insane. So meanwhile, our nurses, we heard a, that lovely nurse on mm. Jeremy Carl show earlier, you know, are being paid sub... 25 grand in some cases working night shift after night Mm. shift at the front line of you know one of the most important jobs there is like Mm. we just we get it so wrong we do final thought i've only got about a minute and a bit um molly russell's inquest um they're obviously urging action on the online safety bill there's a lot of different opinions on this isn't there Mm. So there's obviously it's a really interesting crossover between free speech and child safety. Mm. And, you know, like many others, I think the legal but harmful provisions of the online safety bill. So this is the provisions that say that content that is legal but could be harmful Mm. is going to be heavily regulated and 
tech companies are going to be in a lot of trouble if they don't take this content content mm. off. I think this is a nightmare for, mm. for free speech. Yeah. That said, I think it is unambiguous in light of the Molly Russell case that the child safety provisions of this bill need to go through. Mm. Personally, I would be in favour of taking an even hardliner, hard, more hardline approach on child safety, which yeah. is to say... You know, what role does social media actually have in yeah. children's lives? So we found out during that inquest about how hard it is to regulate the content. Mm. A lot of blame was pinned on the algorithms, actually. Oh, it's not social media, yeah. it's the algorithms. I'm not convinced. You know, I think in light of that case, has the time come for us to ask, does the benefit of social mm. media outweigh the huge risk mm. of harm to so many children? And actually, should we look at an outright ban for under yeah. 16, say, I on think social media? I think they've absolutely got to get better at it. We must uh, do that. We must talk some more about that. Molly, thanks very much indeed. We're out of time, sadly. Molly Kingsley, a co-founder of Us For Them. Uh, we'll talk more for you coming up next. We'll take more of your calls as well. 0344 499 1000 should be cancelled. Or heaven forbid, anyone who wore a crown during the Jubilee. What did we become? A no-fun zone? Well, it is true. We don't seem to have an awful lot of fun. But we do here in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham because right here and right now is where we have the most fun. Uh, and because it's Friday, uh, we're going to introduce you to a whole panoply of new guests. And today, I'm delighted to say, for the first time, Alice Grant is here. Alice, <laughs> welcome to the Independent Republic. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. I'm delighted to be Not here. Not at all. Um, now, you are a student, but you're mm. also a political commentator. And mm. it's very useful for us to talk to people um, who are in that kind of business. Because in the mm. end, you know, I was a student a very long time ago. I don't even want to tell you how long ago it was. Um, but in the end... Um, you're at the sort of forefront of a lot of the wokery that goes on. You're at the forefront of, mm. of creating a new world for the next generation. Are you generations? Are you Gen Z? Is that what you are? Yes, I am Gen Z. Okay. And there is a rise of conservatism, I think, among my generation. Yeah, which I sure. find quite interesting, mm. actually, because people we were talking the other day on a show about how, you know, the kind of millennial generation mm. is now moving on through. And actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's <laughs> the, 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 the one under the, yeah. the generation you're in underneath mm. that seems a bit more sensible. Well, I think to a certain degree there is a return to more traditional values, God, country, family, particularly because these things have been so attacked and so targeted for Mm. so many years. I think also the vote for Brexit has shaped my generation, regardless of whether they were um, pro-Brexit or not. I I certainly was really animated by the Brexit cause, and that's really what got me started in politics, is because... I saw the way our political class handled it, Mm. and I was shocked at just the lack of of confidence they mm. have in our nation yeah. and their reluctance to, to, to get behind the British people yeah. when we make decisions But this is like the that. thing that's interesting, isn't mm. it? Because for all of the, um, the, the the doom and gloom that was poured all over Liz Truss and, and the mini-budget and quasi quartering, yes. you know, here they are, they've come out the other end of that. You know, whether you like Liz Truss or not, and I'm not sure that we can make a decision on that yet, mm-hmm. she is the Prime Minister and mm. she's going to be the Prime Minister because nobody in the Tory party is going to be asking for an election anytime soon. Well, I mean, an election is inevitable, but I just hope that um, when the Tories go into it, their only talking point shouldn't be that we're just better than Labour, because right. at the moment it seems that that's the direction we're heading, right. that the only reason to vote for them would be that Labour is mm. so much worse. Right. And I think that would be really unfortunate, but I think um, the government definitely need to step up their game. We've seen in the last week already so many disasters, yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly, and I think that something really needs to change very soon. But does it worry you that some of mm. the kind of problems came from inside the party itself? Because it's, a, it's as if they've sort of eaten themselves, they've defeated oh, yeah. themselves, they've mm. walked into this, you know, ridiculous situation where they used to have an 80-seat majority, they got rid of Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. you can argue about that, whether it was, I think it ha- you think he pretty much had to go by the time he did, mm. but now they're looking down the wrong end of a sort of shotgun because they've lost all credibility, they've lost mm. every single kind of... Um, strong moral high ground mm-hmm. that they occupied and they've literally handed it all to Labour Yes, I agree, it's been self-sabotage from the Tories mm. and honestly this is nothing new, I remember in May's premiership it was the same type of just like blind catapulting into mm. into doom and we're seeing that now with I think especially Liz Truss just throwing at this point billions of UK taxpayers mm. money to Ukraine she's looking at um, sending point. I think two billion yeah. in 2023, mm. and that is our hard-earned money yeah. going to a cause which I think the polls are now beginning to show that British people are increasingly um, not. What well, we just don't, our interests are not there. Mm. It's not in our national interest. Don't you think though that because it's part of Western Europe, mm. and even though it's quite a long way away from mm. here in terms of it's at the eastern front, if you like, of Western Europe, it's still a place that we have to kind of take a, a, a notice of. I disagree. I think that obviously we're looking at a 
geopolitical climate in which Biden is continuing to try to promote the West and mm. freedom line. I don't think that has any credibility anymore, especially after COVID, when yeah. all our freedoms are taken away anyway in the right. West. But I think the point is, is that um, we have so many issues to deal with here at home that why should we be looking at a conflict um, Sure, it might be a little closer to us, but there are so many other conflicts around the world yeah. in Palestine, Yemen. Why aren't we spending our time and effort looking at those conflicts? And, you know, we can't be the world's saviour at the moment no. when we so are, are facing saying, potential blackouts this right, winter in our country. But if you country. don't want the money spent in yeah. Ukraine, then I presume you wouldn't want it spent in Yemen either or in Palestine. I think that we need to sort out our issues here at home mm. before we start um, being charitable, <laughs> as much charitable as we can to other nations. Obviously, you know, Britain is a moral country. I feel like um, British people are very moral and we care about fairness and mm. justice. But at this point in time, um, this isn't this isn't looking like a just or fair war at the moment. Mm. It's looking like lives being lost, innocent lives being lost, and we're actually financing that with arms, which I think is actually disgusting. So I think there needs to be a change in policy So do you fast. think we should be looking for them to settle some kind of dispute in a way which is, um, you know, a, a mm. call to, to truce, in, a call for peace? Yes, but ultimately that is that is between Ukraine and Russia, and mm. they have a long and complex history which involves many conflicts, many revolutions, all sorts of political um, events. Yeah. And to be honest, Britain has nothing to do with it. Mm. So we should be focusing on issues here at home, especially ending this ridiculous carbon net zero agenda, yes. which is driving us into ruin. It really is, and that is what has caused mm -hmm. us to be in this place. That plus all the money that was given away. I mean, I think the one mm -hmm. the one worry that I have about the Tory Party is that all of the trouble that Liz Truss got herself into in the last week and a half or so was because she was trying to be more conservative. And there seems to be a group of conservative yeah. MPs who don't want that. You know, they want mm -hmm. to make it uh, possible to tax the rich more. They want to give benefits uh, and, and increased benefits to people mm -hmm. who don't have a job. And it doesn't seem very conservative to me. No, I think the Tory party has lost its Conservative credentials a while ago and yeah. at the moment Blairism is rife really and I think that our politicians aren't listening because if they were listening they'd notice that in 2016 when we chose to vote for Brexit that was also a vote rejecting kind of this corporatist mm. type of politics which yeah. we've seen for so long. It was a vote rejecting socialism and, and more authoritarianism and more centralisation mm. and it was a vote ultimately um, for a patriotic vote to to start governing ourselves at a national level and, and just more democracy mm. really it was for democracy and what is it politics. like operating mm. in in the world of academia because it seems <laughs> to me to be a place that's infested with wokery we were just talking yeah. about the uh, the mexican problem that bake-off has got there's a <laughs> professor at cambridge uh, dr gabriela mm. ramos uh, who says that they shouldn't be making jokes about mexicans i mean where has the fun gone out of uh, higher education? The thing about wokeism is that it never ends and it's just going to keep, mm. you know, the left are going to eventually kind of destroy Well, the Telegraph here has got a whole series of stories. They're all at the bottom half of yeah. page three. More than a quarter of young LGBT, claims Stonewall. Globe's apology for the Joan of Arc poem because it's an insult to women. Woke language guidance is codswallop, say council staff. <clears throat> Demisexual Navy engineer cleared of assault on Demisexual? Holly, demisexual, apparently. Demisexual. <laughs> like, do you know what that is? Because I didn't I'm know sure. until I read this. Apparently, it's a, it's a guy who's up for uh, assaulting, sexually assaulting a male colleague in the Royal Navy, but he says that um, he's unable to have any kind of sexual contact with anyone unless he loves them, and therefore that makes him a demisexual, apparently. Nothing to do with Demi Moore. <laughs> So, right. I mean, yeah, things are getting a bit crazy. I'm very, very blessed to be in a college, Magdalen College, which is definitely, I think, more just more sensible, right. really, than some of the other. So you're not having to watch your pronouns <laughs> or watch your kind of uh, no, speech at all. any particular time. No, but it, even if I was forced to, I would definitely. Mm. I, definitely I mean, I know would. a lot of people mm. now who say they're quite careful about what they say in public like if they're in a pub or something or if they're in a group of people mm. they're quite careful about the kinds of jokes they make or the kinds of things that they say do you find that um well i think there definitely is a rise in kind of self-censorship but that's really because there's been so much hysteria in the media mm. over just the tiniest things right. and people are getting cancelled and there's there's a well, kind of might get almost communistic the door the climate of fear yeah. being built but, but also you could be sort of yeah. dobbed in by somebody who says that yes, you said something yeah. about a trans mm. person or you made some kind of homophobic joke yeah. and you get the police round it's really worrying because as we can see that this is only being policed one way 
if someone were to attack a conservative or someone mm. were to make um, a horrible remark yeah. um, no, the that's other way right. around. And they can stand outside, fine, um, yeah. you know, Tory Party conference and yell at people oh, yes, and sort of hurl terrible insults and yeah. just really intimidate people. And that's allowed, apparently. Mm, it's shocking. It's a disgrace, mm. really. And what about London? We saw this incident yesterday, the stabbing of some people. And some of the video that's now doing the rounds is horrendous to watch. Mm. It's like you know, morning in Liverpool Street where people are going about their business. And Sadiq Khan comes out and says, well, the good news is it wasn't terrorism. I mean, this is just atrocious, but really what I think this speaks of is that we're having a kind of breakdown in social values mm. and important values and the values that this nation was founded on, which I believe are God, country and family. Yeah. And for family... See, that sounds very so American important. when you say it like that. Well, I, I say it because I heard it recently um, with Italy's new Prime Minister, yes. Giorgio Maloney, and I think that Britain really needs a return back to these values mm. because things are going wrong in this country, I think, on a social level as well, on a societal level, and especially parts in London where we can see um, a rise in crime among youth is yeah. inextricably linked to a breakdown in, in, in the yeah. family. And, and eventually yeah. elect, electorates kind of re reflect that, don't they? We've seen it in Sweden, they voted for, mm. for a right-wing uh, government, same in Italy. Exactly. I mean, it may happen here. I hope so. Yeah, well, I mean, you're <laughs> going to be at the front of it, aren't you, presumably? I mean, you have to turn the Conservative Party back into a pro-Conservative party. Oh, the Conservative the Party is so toxic. But... It really is. Well, listen, mm. great to see you. Thank you very much Thank for popping in. Thank you so much for having Alice me. Alice Grant, right? you're also on uh, the Prime Minister's show, aren't you? Make Me Prime Minister. Yes. <laughs> How does that work? Have we got that clip, by the way? Do we have a clip of Make Me Prime Minister? We don't have it. They didn't do it. Um, apparently, it. Channel yeah. 4 won't let us do it. But what, what's that all about? <laughs> um, yes, so I was on a show called Make Me Prime Minister, and it was essentially a kind of reality TV show, but I think it's more about the entertainment, really. Obviously, I went there with the politics that I, I, I believe I can't in. imagine you'd have been too popular on Channel 4. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to watch this show to see. Okay. You might get a few well, when surprises. Can I, when, when is it on? It's on Tuesdays at 9.15 okay. after Bake Off. So. All right. Oh, it's after Bake Off. Well, don't wear any sombreros and you'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely right. Alice Grant, thank you very thank much you indeed. So much, uh, we've got more coming up. We'll take more of your calls, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.